This is episode 10 of the Rising Man podcast with Preston Smiles. Ooh, ooh. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Rising Man podcast. I'm your host and the creator of this show, Jetty Azuma, and I am so, so thrilled for today's guest. Preston Smiles is just a tremendous man. I'm so grateful to know him. The way Preston lives his life really speaks for itself. He's the founder of Man Cave, which is an online transformational group of men, conscious men all over the world, coming together to be the best men that they can be. The author of Love Louder, 33 Ways to Amplify Your Life, and Now or Never, Your Epic Life in Five Steps. Preston is a personal freedom coach, helping people discover and take ownership of the lives they were born to have. He is a father, a husband, and an all-around tremendous man whose mission is to be the embodiment of love in everything he does. This is a jam-packed episode. Let me tell you guys, so much wisdom in this one. Make sure you guys tune up. We talk about how leaders learn to choose their own way, why so many men feel isolated and alone right now, the healing power of personal freedom, what it means to be a father to a son, and so much more. I'll let you guys find out for yourselves. Without further ado, Preston Smiles. All right, Preston, how's it going, man? So good to have you on here. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, oh, blow, blow, blow. Let's get it. Let's get it. Jay, money. <laughs> there he is. Always, always knows how to make an entrance, man. Um, <laughs> grateful to have you on the show, taking time away. How's your little king doing over there? Oh, he's fantastic, man. We just, we went on a, a, a nice little walk and then danced around the house for a little bit because the dude won't sleep unless, unless he's like moving. Mm-hmm. So, so we turned on some music and I just danced with him in my arms and, uh, and then he passed out. <laughs> oh man, that's the best. It's so great to watch you stepping into fatherhood. And that's definitely something we'll jump into a little bit later on in this interview. But um, I want to start off the way I start off every one of my interviews and ask you a really important question. For you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? I want to preface this by saying both of them are super important. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, um, and I don't think we necessarily graduate from one to the other fully. I think that there are aspects of the boy that still remain in every man, no matter how old or wise or conscious he is. And that's the thing that actually uh, helps us remember that life isn't as serious as we take it. Um, and, and so uh, the difference between a boy and a man, a boy is learning, growing, as is a man, uh, a boy, I'd say, is very susceptible to outside influences. And uh, boys can sometimes be led by their dicks and their base desires. And uh, when I think of a man, I'm always thinking about a conscious man, about a deeply aligned, um, integrous man. And a man is, is somebody who, who lives with purpose, who's driven by a vision. A man is someone who uh, owns their king power, their warrior power, their, their lover, their mystic, and their full energy. A man is somebody who is uh, in service to himself first, his partner second, his child third, 
his community, and so on and so forth. Mm. When I think of a conscious man, I think of somebody who, and, and when I say the self, I'm talking about the God self. So don't, don't even think for a second I'm, I'm excluding, you know, what we would call God or spirit. I just don't believe they're separate. Right. So when I love, when I love me and I own me, I'm owning the God part of me. That, not just part, the fullness of God. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of, I know I danced around a little bit there, but that, I'd say that those are the main differences uh, for me. Yeah, and I, and I like the way you answered the question, man. I really, I really agree with the impulsiveness of boys and, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that we never truly grow out of our boy. I think that's also really important to recognize. Um, and I also like your, your sequencing of, of where, we should, where we put our attention as, as men, and at least your version of a man. So tell me why you put yourself first above everyone else in that, in that sequence. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it comes back to just pure logic. Like if I, if, if daddy isn't happy, if I'm not happy, if I'm not full, if my cup is empty, I have nothing to give to my wife, to my children or to humanity. And so it's important that I am nourished and full and deeply aligned and focused on what it is that I came here to do, be and have. And, uh, and, and so it, that, so it trickles down to, to my family, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, and, and family being an immediate family and the world, all of the above. And that's great, man. I'm glad you spoke to that and expounded upon it a little bit because I know that a lot of men out there have it flipped. It's like, let me take care of everybody else before I really get to me. And, and sometimes it's even just that element of, if I can take care of everybody else, I don't have to look at all the things that I want to, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a way to distract. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Cool, man. Well, thank you for sharing that and giving some context for that. Um, I I thought we would transition into a little bit of your story. You've got such a compelling story of where you came from, how you grew up, and how you've made it in the world. Um, You know, really defying the odds of of what society would have for you. You know, here you are, an African-American guy growing up in L.A., um, I'll let, I'll let you go into the story and tell us a little bit about what your, what your upbringing was like and what were some of the challenges you faced? For sure, man. Um, so, so I, I had a tricky upbringing because, you know, these are all Western problems. Um, and to the individual, they're gigantic. So, you know, if I grew up in the middle of India where there's no food or water and, and, and then I, I place my issues or how I grew up up against, you know, somebody who lives in Beverly Hills or somebody who grew up in LA who, you know, has clothes, food, water, and they're, they're pissed off because they play, can't play their Game Boy. Uh, you know, they may seem like they're not even in the same ballpark, but to the individual, to the, to, to the, the wounded self, they're gigantic. And so I'll, I'll start with, with very early in life, I was placed in special education classes. Uh, my mother and father would argue my mom said as early as three years old about whether I was um, had Asperger's or was mentally ill or whatever the case may be. I guess I wasn't showing signs of being normal. And I'm doing quotes here because normal, what is that? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we've been sold an idea about what normal is. And when a kid doesn't fit into that, then we throw them, we, we, we put labels on them and put them in classes with other unnormal kids. And so uh, I was about eight, seven, eight years old when I remember being put in this class and, and I made up a story about myself, that I was dumb, that I was stupid, that I was less than. And instead of me communicating that and telling my mother and my father, I buried it. I buried it away because, you know, growing up in a Western culture, by the time I was seven, eight years old, I had heard big boys don't cry, don't be a pussy, don't be a faggot, man up so many times 
that there was no space for me to actually communicate what was up for me. And so instead of me, you know, sharing that and allowing it to the cycle to complete itself, I suppressed it. And I suppressed it in such a way that it grew bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time I was 11, I joined a gang. I started smoking weed, I started fighting, spray painting, beating people up. Just, you know, I was like an urban terrorist. And the funniest thing is that I grew up in a sort of Dennis the Menace neighborhood in LA, uh, Harbor City, California, where, you know, most of the houses looked the same. Everybody was sort of lower middle class to middle class. And then the, the projects, the gang neighborhood was just maybe a mile and a half away. And so for me, the way that society was, things had been glorified, gangsters, you know, bad boys, those are the people who get respect. Those are the people who get girls. Those are the people who, you know, in the music that are awesome. And so I wanted to be in a gang. And so I joined one and, but I also understood respect, respecting adults and all that stuff. So I was like this, this like angel at home. And I lived a double life. The moment I got outside, I, was, I, was, I would terrorize people. Um, and I, I think now, looking back, it was because I was so suppressed at home. Mm. I didn't feel safe. Some of my family members were on drugs. And there was just a lot, lot happening at that time. And so to make a long story short, I ended up going out. Oh, well, here's the thing. My friends and I used to do this thing called runouts, where we would go to these liquor stores, grab alcohol, and then run out as fast as possible and try not to get shot. Um, and nobody ever got shot. We got things thrown at us and we got things pulled on us, but we never really like when you're 15, 16 years old, you don't think things like that will really happen. So I thought it was invincible. And one particular night, my buddy, my best friend, Scott, him and I used to fight over shotgun. Did you play that game? Did you ever like do the shotgun? Oh yeah, man. Who hasn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So Scott and I used to fight over shotgun in this blue Astro van that my buddy Rudy used to drive. And uh, Scott called me and he's like, yeah, we, we going to do a run out. We're going to hang out tonight, smoke weed, kick it. And this was the first time for me, I, I truly understood intuition and something said, no, don't go. So I told him no. And, uh, you know, he made fun of me. He was like, oh, you're going to be a little bitch. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm chilling tonight. Um, and, and shout out to my dad who my dad and I have had so many issues over the years. And even currently right now we're in a fight where he hung up on me a couple of days ago. But my dad told me very early, I think I was 11 years old when he caught me smoking, and he said, you're a leader, and you're such a leader that if everybody is going left, but something in you says go right, you'll do it anyway. And he just poured into me and, and, and gave me this sort of confidence about who I was. And so fast forward to 15 and a half, my buddy's asking me to come out, and my intuition says don't go. So I don't. Within an hour, every single person in that blue Astro van was shot. And my best friend, Scott, was shot in the head and died on the scene. And uh, he was shot by a disgruntled guy who, whose girlfriend had just broken up with him. And, you know, sparing you the details of the story, it was, you know, it sucked. Mm -hmm. But here I am again, a 15-year-old kid who, who's never cried, who doesn't know how to process any of this stuff. And so I got so scared, uh, I asked my dad, could I leave? He said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't care. Get me out of here. Two weeks later, I was on a plane, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Got off the plane. There was a sign with my name on it. I moved in with this woman, Shirley Russell. Shirley is still my mom to this day. She stood next to my mom at my wedding. This is somebody who didn't know me from Adam and just took me in. Shirley happened to live within North Allegheny County, which was one of the sort of wealthiest counties in America at the time, and which meant I, get, I got to go to North Allegheny High School. 
which was this like rich kid school where the first day of school I pulled up and everybody had like BMWs and Mercedes, turf football fields. You could eat off the ground. And take in mind, I had just come from a school where there was no books. We literally had no books, no lockers. Um, and it was just, it was fucked, the best way to put it. And I get to this new school and I'm walking through the hallway and everybody's sort of staring at me in like excitement. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, I'm, I know I'm cool, but like, why am I this cool? Um, and so I get in the office and, and, and I ask the lady, you know, what's, what the deal is. And she says, oh yeah, you're, you're the only black male in the entire school. And for me, this was like scary and amazing all at the same time. I became the most popular kid at school immediately. Um, I joined a new gang called Wexford Mafia. And one particular night we were headed to a party and this kid, Brad's BMW, I'm in the back seat. We're listening to Outkast, Tupac and Biggie. Mm -hmm. They're smoking weed. I'm drinking a 40 ounce uh, Miller High Life in the back. And yes, we're drinking and driving, which is terrible. And anybody listening to this, please don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I had this realization that uh, the kids at my former school were doing the same thing, but getting two different results based on the environment and the expectation. And so for me, I stumbled upon environmental psychology at 15 and a half. And it opened up a can of worms and it showed me that we're all dealing with the same stuff, that underneath all of the stories that we have about each other, whether it be gay, straight, white, black, Christian, Muslim, underneath all of that is our truth, which is love. And uh, that's what I stand for, man. Mm -hmm. That was really one of the biggest catalysts in my life. Um, later on, I, I did go to college. I cheated my way through all of college uh, because I, I, did, I still was uh, operating from the mentality, from the wound, that I was stupid and that I was an imposter. And so instead of actually you know, going through college, I played the game in college to win because I didn't think I could. And then I got into grad school, graduated with straight A's, no cheating at all, realized that I just learned differently than everybody else, and moved to LA, started acting and modeling, got sick, became an angry vegan, watched The Secret, watched Zeitgeist, uh, denounced my religion, um, filled my cup with all this knowledge, but still was really angry and hateful, and realized that um, love was the key. And... Uh, that became the catalyst for me. I, I, I started a YouTube channel called Questions with Preston and everything took off from there, man. And, and here I am today. And here you are, man. And, and obviously there's so much in there to unpack. Um, I'm really interested to hear you go in a little bit deeper about what made you different than the people you grew up with because you, you found your way, right? And, and so what was it that allowed you to do that? You know, when I think back at it now, um, it was a couple things. One, my parents really let me be super independent. Um, I was born in 1980 and that sort of group, and I think you're in this group too, Jetty, mm -hmm. was the least, one of the least parented generations in, like, in history. They let us run around. Like there was no like, supervision. Nobody was afraid of us getting like, kidnapped. And so you know, video games existed, but I, the only time I would play video games is if I had to. The rest of the time, I was literally outside, like figuring it out for myself, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and I think that independence plus, and here is the game changer, plus having a dad that was super involved. Mm -hmm. My dad has some, some, some pretty big demons and he's still dealing with them right now. However, 
he, he was that dad that took us to basketball practice, that took us to the skating rink. He was that dad that when he caught us smoking weed was like, yo, nothing wrong with weed, but is this the life you want? Look at everybody who smokes weed and, and to you tell me, is that the life you want? And instead of him you know, punishing me, he made me think for myself and then told me I was a leader and told me I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. And so I think the difference maker was that because even, you know, even when I went to college, I remember I came back from college and my friends were all there and we were in this garage, like everybody was high um, and I wasn't smoking. I, I stopped smoking at 11 years old um, and I didn't smoke weed again until I was 27. And so I'm 18, 19 years old, home from college. Everybody's in this cloud of smoke. I have on purple skinny jeans, <laughs> um, pink chucks with different shoestrings in them, a studded belt, a blonde mohawk and and like i'm in this in this garage with these gangsters with dickies on and giant white t-shirts and i remember everybody kind of making fun of me but one by one each and every one of those guys pulled me aside at some point and said yo like where did i go wrong like yo you're like in college you're living all over the world and like i'm still here like what what happened and 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 you know i i'm definitely blessed I know that the universe, God, Buddha, Allah, Krishna, whatever is more, more potent for you, I just say God or the universe. I know that I'm being used to remind people of their truth. I know that I was saved in so many ways and so many times from being killed or hurt or arrested. I did so many things I could have been arrested for and I never have been arrested. So, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, I think the dad thing was big. Mm. And it also, uh, what I hear in your, your share there is that well, let me ask you this. Would you say that that's, that's like a superhero power you have is just being that guy who's going his own direction? Or is that something that every man is capable of doing? I think every man is capable of doing that. I think that if it's not cultivated, then it, it needs to be practiced. But for me, during those early years where, you know, my, my, my brain was still melding and, and I was deciding who I was, I had somebody there telling me that it was okay. I had permission to be me. And in that permission, it doesn't mean I wasn't programmed and all kind of crazy shit didn't happen. But within that, I felt empowered. Mm. So what do you say to guys who are in their 20s and 30s now who never gave themselves that permission or never got that permission to just be themselves? What, what are they supposed to do about that, finding their own way? Join Man Cave. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, man, I say join, you know, uh, get around other guys, watch um, videos, listen to audiobooks, and just be guard your your consciousness, like guard the gates of your consciousness, and fill your tank and your cup with stuff that that reminds you of who you are. I think a lot of guys, no matter what age they are, they could be fifty five or fifteen, um, don't understand how important it is to surround yourself with and program yourself because the whole world is trying to program men you know into believing that a man has a certain amount of money in his account that he, he you know he has these type of women he has this kind of house and he's being you know it, it, we're being programmed we're being taught what we should be and so if you put yourself around and program yourself then then the sky's the limit and you get to be free you know i know a lot of people who have all those things and they're still broke and in prison. Mm -hmm. They have a bunch of materials, but they're still broke and in a internal prison. And so, you know, that's why I call myself a personal freedom coach, because that's the most important thing there is. I don't give a fuck what you have. 
if you don't have your own personal freedom, then you're a prisoner. Mm. You're living someone else's vision or you're, you're being operated by your wounded self. Mm. And that's so powerful, man. I love that you use the word freedom and talking about programming, man. I mean, you, you go to the grocery store and somehow we all file into a line or if, you know, if if, if like a bell rings, we all kind of fall into sequence and it's, it's amazing how subtle the programming has been in our culture, but uh, putting the attention back on the word freedom. So, so, so how do people even, even find out what freedom is for themselves? Yeah, man. I, I think we all remember it. You know, uh, yeah, we've been programmed and there's a lot going on, but we all remember it. I think that's why, you know, why we dance. It's why people drink, you know. I think people drink so they can feel that, that, that sense of freedom. Um, you know, there's something in our brain, uh, in our makeup, in our biology called mirror neurons. And it's funny, having a baby, I see it. I see it instantly, even more, um, where people see my child and they instantly go, oh, and they, or they smile or they, they connect to something about him because they remember that part of themselves. The mirror neurons fire off. And it's the same thing. I, um, if you've ever seen somebody get hurt playing basketball or football or something, and you, you cringe when they break their ankle or something, that's mirror neurons. That's actually within our biology. You know, tap into that freedom. Right. It's there already, you know? It's there already. And, and I think that the more we cultivate it and practice it, you know, one of my favorite sayings is it's not a matter of becoming, it's a matter of revealing. Revealing the genius, revealing the love, revealing the harmony, revealing that powerful integrated masculine that you already truly are, right? It's just, it, I, I think it was, they said, Michelangelo said, all he did was chip away everything that was not the David, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what we're up to. It's not becoming, you don't need to add anything, it's already who you are. Right. Just peeling away and removing all the blocks and BS, which goes back to joining, you know, groups like Man Cave, where, where men can actually, you know, express and be around other conscious men and be, and be held in the masculine and taught and reminded about who they are. You know, we've been doing it for thousands of years and somehow, you know, social media has us separate and forgetting that we can, we get to do this together as a tribe, as a community. Let's talk a little bit about that. So, so when, why and when did we stop doing that as men, getting together and supporting each other that way? Yeah, man, um, I don't have an exact date for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it happened over time. I do know that when I look at history and I look at like the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. 60s, while I had some issues for sure, was an awesome time as well because people were, were galvanized around certain topics like civil rights or the Vietnam War, or, you know, not doing what our, our parents did. And, and I think it was really a powerful time because people got, they got out into the streets. They talked. They were, they were intelligent. Not that I really believe too much in conspiracies and things of this nature, but I do think that there are some um, ignorant individuals who happen to have quote-unquote power that said, okay, they're way too tapped in. We cannot control them. So let's throw cocaine at them. Let's give them some drugs. Let's make them, you know, grow their, their afros and, 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 and make it about, you know, disco music and have them forget about all the shit we're doing. Let's distract them so we can keep, you know, controlling them. And social media and technology has in part brought us together and separated us. And I think, I think some of it is about distracting us from, from who we are so, they, so, so that we're consumers 
so that we're weak, so that we're led by our base desires. So we're running around, you know, masturbating to porn all the time instead of, uh, you know, cultivating our own power and keeping our chi and moving like the warriors that we are instead of whiners and warriors, which is what, you know, most men have become flatulent, neutered, fucking weak, man. Like it, it, it's time. Mm. That's, that's, that's what we're up to. You know, that's what this podcast is about. That's what my work is about. And, and even, you know, you have, you had a guest on here that, you know, I'm not necessarily aligned with his message or him, but I am grateful even if I'm not fully aligned with, with how he rolls. Cause I'm grateful that anybody, anytime anybody steps out, raises the flag and says, yo, this is where I'm going. And this is about raising the bar and, and, and about becoming better men. I support that. Even if I don't like the individual, you know? And I think that's what it's about, man. As men, we think that, that we have to agree on everything. We think that, you know, if we don't, we got to go to war. No, we don't have to necessarily go to war. If you don't align with somebody, just don't fucking hang with them. Don't put their name in your mouth. Don't necessarily like, you know, promote them. Mm -hmm. And do your thing in such a way that people don't even look over there. That they, you know, make your lane. Make your lane so crystal clear, so beautiful, so uh, vibrant that we don't even look in that direction. Like that's the game. And I'm constantly reminding myself of that all the time. Mm. Yeah, man. And, and I love that you bring that up. You know, we are in a time where the men are starting to hear the call to come back around the fire. You know, uh, programs like Man Cave that I've been supporting you with, which has just been amazing to see how many of these guys can just break open and haven't had that space before. It's, it's, it's really happening. Like this is the time. And now more than ever, we need the men to be stepping up because, you know, there's obviously so many global implications of men not being able to hold a position of strong masculine leadership in a good way. So, Indeed. so, so, uh, going farther down that road, what becomes possible when men start to, to gather and assemble and support each other? I mean, everything. The, the reality is, is uh, statistically men are quote unquote, still in power. We still make more money and we're still, you know, quote unquote, running the world. However, women statistically, whether it be graduating from college, whether it be like just everything you can imagine, women are kicking our ass. And it's not that it's a competition, but when we step up, like they step up, then we literally raise the bar for humanity. We, we set, we, you know, we set generations to come up, not just my kid, but his kid and their kid for them to come into a world where we are all aligned, where we remember who we are, where we stop destroying our oceans and our planet, where we actually care about each other. Doesn't mean violence goes away. Doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have issues. It just means that we're more um, in tune with the fundamental nature of our being. That's what it means. It means that we, we, we remember, we remember who we are, you know, mm. each and every one of us. There's a, there's a part of us that's still innocent, that's still pure, that still has not been hurt, harmed, or endangered. And when we remember that part of us, we become empathetic. We become compassionate. And it's very hard, very hard to hurt another being when you remember who you are and who they are. Mm. Yeah, man, I really resonate with that message tremendously. And I've seen the same things in all the different circles of men from, you know, young, from men as young as teenagers all the way to guys in their 80s. I've seen teenagers and guys in their 80s in the same circle sharing yep. the same experiences. And, and so that element that we're not really that unique, that we're not really that far apart is, is so powerful and important. 
Um, talk. Amen. You, you, so let's, let's talk about fatherhood. You already talked about your dad. I love that you shared that story about how he showed up for you and really encouraged you to be the leader that he saw in you. So you're a brand new dad, you know, month, month now, right? He's a month old. Uh, a month and a week. Yes, sir. A, a, month, a month and a week. So, uh, so, so what are some of the lessons you're learning early on in fatherhood at this point? Oh man, it's so, it's so rich. It's so, uh, deep, you know, um, one is, especially as men, we get in this, this like, uh, A equals B equals C kind of thing. We get in this like, okay, finally I'll figure this thing out. I'll, I'll work it out. Like if our, if our, our girlfriend or or even boyfriend, if you're gay, um, or whatever, uh, if somebody is going through something, we want to fix it. We want to know like, okay, this is how you fix this. And now you stop crying or, uh, okay, you have that issue, do this, this, and this. And now that issue is gone. And fatherhood parenting is not like that. (laughs) There's no, there's no fix to it. Like there's, there's no like, okay, got it, figured it out. Now got the kid in check and uh, now we can get back to my life. Right. It's like, no, we're integrating. We're learning together. I, I, I'm teaching him as, as much as he's teaching me, if not more, man, like it's, it's so powerful. And I'm in uncharted territory. I've never even experienced this, this much fulfillment, this much love. I'm tired as shit. I've never been this tired ever. And there's, there's like an extra gear in there. Like I, a gear I didn't even know existed. It's like, you know, I was, I was already like a, a, a freaking Lamborghini. All of a sudden I became that like back to future, back to the future car. And I just like, like got in the air on that ass. Like it was like, what? There's like an extra gear in here, man. And, and it's so beautiful. I've already caught myself with expectations on him. You know, oh, he's going to be a surfer and he's going to be this and he's going to be that. This dude may be everything the opposite of that. And, and uh, you know, it, it's been powerful. It's been powerful to see his little face and see his smiles and, and have him, you know, piss on me in the middle of the night and like, you know, projectile poop and all that stuff. It's just been hilarious and amazing. <laughs> oh, man. And how about humbling? Has it been a humbling oh, experience? Huge, man. Huge. I, you know, shout out to any parents man or woman that are doing this without a bunch of help, you know, and, and, and we, we believe in the village. So we got, you know, my mom, we got a nanny, we got friends coming over. We had you guys come over and hold them and hang out with them for a little bit. And you sang some native American songs to them and put my son in a trance and then he was passed out. Um, <laughs> yeah, we shout out to anybody doing it alone, man. This shit is not a game. So uh, we, it's very humbling. You know, it mm-hmm. takes a village to raise a village and a child. And that's what we're up to. And, and I love that you shout out all the people that are that are doing it, because, I mean, there's parents all over the world that are just doing the exact same thing, trying to find their way and, and having a hard time with it, man. And I, you know, in my story, I've been fortunate to have the same thing. In fact, that Carrie and I, my wife, we deliberately created village around us for our kids because we were like this. This is what we believe in. So so what's your what's your message about that as far as our a different way of raising kids compared to convention, compared to expectations. Yeah, man. I, I just think it's ridiculous to think that, you know, one person or two people are supposed to be able to know absolutely everything and how to navigate it, especially how young we are, man. Like, and I'm, I'm, I would be considered an old dad. I'm 37 years old, man, 37 years young and getting better and <laughs> sexier. Um, however, you know, most people are having kids in their 20s, late 20s and all that stuff. Like, you're still a baby then, man. 
you know, even 33, I thought I knew some stuff, man. And now I'm sitting at 37 going, wow, I was a child, right? And, and so to have grandparents and friends and family around, you know, the child becomes much more well-rounded. Like our nanny is already teaching him Spanish and he can't even, you know, <laughs> he can't even talk at all. You know, like we, we're going sign language. We're doing all kinds of stuff, man. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty of humanity. You know, I think that there's back to the mirror neurons, whether it's your baby or somebody else's baby. I think that all of us have this, this, this extra thing in us that wants to protect and serve, especially men. That's the nurturing thing for us. We're not necessarily like, you know, here's my nipple drink, drink from my nipple. We're, 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 we're like, yo, I will protect you. I will go out and hunt for you and I'll, you know, I'll make sure you're warm at night. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. Well, you know, and also I know you're a guy who's traveled all over the world, literally all over the world, and uh, especially to places like Africa. What what do you see different about the way they parent and raise children in a place like Africa or some of these, um, let, let's say, less than first world places? Exactly. Yeah, you know what? Africa is amazing. Tanzania and Uganda are the two places I've been. And both of those places, they they don't helicopter at all. They allow kids to be kids and to fall and fight and scrape and all that stuff. And they're so respectful. Kids have duties. You know, I've seen like two-year-olds on the street by themselves. And I'm not condoning that per se. But, you know, I, I do think that there's something to learn from them. Those are the original people. These are people that are still tapped into how we used to live. And not that there's anything wrong with evolution. However, there is something to it. You know, it's still working. And, and they do village all the way, like all the way. Everybody raises everybody's kid. I've seen, I've seen with my own eyes, somebody jump out of a car and spank someone else's kid. And not that I'm condoning spanking or violence, which those can be two different things depending on who's listening. Um, however, it's just, I was like blown away by their just like, of course, of course, that kid is out of line. They need their ass beat or spanked or whatever the case may be. And, and it was interesting to watch all the Americans start crying and be like, no, that's not your child. How dare you put your hands on that kid? And I just sort of sat there and it was like, interesting, mm. right? Because yeah. culturally, that's how they roll. And if you really look at it outside of what we're fed about Africa as a continent, right? If you really look at it, they're, they're so peaceful, so loving, so respectful. So tapped in, you know, the only parts of, of that I dislike about Africa is all of the, the like Christian dogma that they've been fed. Like they, they've been, you know, bamboozled into believing in some God that came from somewhere else. Like, and, and I know that that's pissing a lot of people off right now, but I got to speak my truth, man. Like, you know, yeah. where'd they get that white God from? Where, where'd they get that from? Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and speaking to the, the village thing, man, you know, I'm, I haven't shared this on the podcast yet, but um, Carrie, my wife and I, we raise our son Sitka and we live in a household with two other couples, uh, four of our best friends in the world. And it gives me the greatest joy in the world to wake up and to see my son have six adults that he can run to, that he has a different relationship with, a unique, loving bond with each one of us. And he's getting to the age, he's, he's two and a half now. And so he needs to be disciplined. He needs to be spoken to and, and let, let know, like, that's not okay. And I'm not the only one who has to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I really respect that about the way that they do it in other parts of the world. And, and it's not to say that one way is right or wrong, but just that there's different ways to look at 
the parenting conversation. So 100%. So yeah, man, I think that's, that's a really important one. Um, what else about being a father and, and, and how, let me ask you this, how do you look at your role as being a father to your son and to any future children you might have and how that's, you know, I always hear you talk about seven generations and looking forward into the future. How, how do you hold that? Yeah, man, it's a big deal, man. Like, like w- when I found out it was a boy, I was so emotional, you know, because I, I, I want, quote unquote, wanted a girl. Mm-hmm. And, and but, you know, you always get exactly what you need. You always get the exact medicine that you need. And, and the moment I found out it was a boy, I was like, wow, this is a big deal. To raise a young king, especially in a world that has that has you know been bamboozled and and all the rape and and sex trafficking and just really there's a lot of jacked up stuff that's happening in our world at the hands of men, you know, or mm-hmm. unconscious men. And so to raise a conscious little boy into a young king is a big task. And I know that. It, it, it's not just about him and I, it's about the whole damn world. It's about generations to come, many generations to come. And so I don't take it lightly. I know, and I, and I think about him every day now, you know, just in, in the smallest things. If my son was watching, would I say this? Would I do this? If my son or his son was sitting in the same room, would I speak to their mother like this? Right. That's, you know, Alexi and I have gotten into arguments and, and that's a whole nother podcast about what happens in relationship when an extra person is introduced. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've seen myself shift quicker just based on the fact that he exists, you know, where when it was just her and I, you know, I, I could be stubborn and hold out and be mad for longer. But just because he's there, I've seen myself go, nope, this isn't just about you anymore. This is about him. This is about the world. He's catching that. And so energetically, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Right? Wow, dude. (laughs) You you, you literally just froze me there because you said when you were talking about would I show up that way if my son was sitting in the room, if he was older and Mm -hmm. he saw me speaking like that, like, wow. I mean, anybody who's listening right now, if you're a father, that is the only thing you ever need to think about when you're choosing how you want to show up. Um, Real talk. Gold right there, bro. All right, cool, man. Well, as we're uh, coming to a close, it's clear that we're going to have to do this again, man. There's plenty for us to talk about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But let's keep it tight. I I got a few questions I want to ask, kind of lightning style at the end here, just to get some last perspectives from you. Um, What is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18 years old? Mm, Easy. There's so much gray area. Especially when you're young. 18, 19, 20, 28, 27, you think you know everything. You think it's black and white. You think it's either this or that. It's either fear or love. And there's so much gray area. There's so much um, subtleties and, and, and things in there. And so it's not that I wish I knew that because everything is perfect. This is exactly what I needed. But if I was going back or if I had some advice to anybody, um, I'd say let go of this idea of things being right. You know, because... It's, it's, a, it's a lot of its perspective and, and your perspective is tainted by your programming. And so if you could step out of yourself and step into someone else's moccasins, you may see it an entire different way. You know, Christopher mm-hmm. Columbus and all those dudes who, who thought that it was right and just to steal and kill and, and give the Native Americans diseases and to rape and pillage, you know, my ancestors, they thought that was right. They thought it was right in the name of Jesus. 
And they were to an extent. <laughs> and right and wrong are mental constructs. They are perspectives. And so for me, if you can let go of that and, and move into the gray area where, you know, does this serve me? Does this serve my partner? Does this serve my child? Does this serve humanity? If, if, if I strike a yes for all of those, game time, right? And, and if it doesn't, then, then I get to make a decision still. Mm. Real talk right there, man. I love that idea of having that filter, making it real clean and simple for yourself. Um, and you already answered this next question to some degree of what, what does it mean to be a man in the world? But let me ask you this in a little bit of a different way. What are some of the values you think are important to being a man right now in this time? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest values is, is having a code, having something you live by, you know, having a mantra, having, having honor based on something that you live by. Like for me, I have a firm belief that love is who we are. It's what we live from. And so I, love becomes a, an intention for me. If you ask me my purpose, it's clear for me to be the living embodiment of God's love as a father, husband, and transformational coach. Right? To have something like that, a guiding star, when you are lost in the desert, when you are lost and trapped in all that bullshit that has been holding you down and all the stories that you've been believing, you come back to that North Star. That's the game. What do you believe in? What, what do you live by? Hmm. I love that, man. I love that. Uh, having And that everyone has their own star, their own unique star yep. to follow, man. That's awesome. Yep. Right on, bro. Well, uh, we're coming to the place where I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what you're up to in the world, what you're creating, let people know how they can follow you and track your journey if they're not already. Uh, yeah, man, for sure. Man cave, man cave, man cave. Jetty is actually one of the lead coaches in man cave. It is uh, a conscious man brotherhood where we explore, expand and elevate as a tribe. Um, man cave is a four month virtual journey where we, we meet up online and uh, live at times on Zoom and, and go through a process together where we go through the archetypes and just you know come together, sit around the fire, the virtual fire, and then we have groups and we talk and you have buddies and it's, it's a whole thing and it's amazing and it's very important, very important and near and dear to my heart. Um, and I shared with the guys on the last call that my ego didn't want to do it, but my soul knew that this was exactly what needed to happen because I know what it feels like to be, you know, addicted to certain things, to allow your dick to run the show, to be living from shame and all that stuff. So if you're a man and, and you want to go to the next level and, and you don't have a tribe around you or a coach or a mentor or somebody to hold you to the stuff you say you want in this lifetime, go to PrestonSmiles.com forward slash man cave and apply immediately. Don't wait. Do that shit right now. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And it's it's so important. And everything we talked about before about what we've lost as a culture of men gathering, sitting around the fire and 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 supporting each other. It's like you've created that in Man Cave. And I'm, I'm honored to be on that journey with you, man, to see all the amazing transformations that have happened for the men who've jumped into the cave so far. It's been great, man. 100%. Cool, man. What about the socials? Where can people track you? Instagram, Facebook? Yep. Instagram, YouTube. Facebook, YouTube, at 
Preston smiles. Right on, brother. Keeping it simple. Well, listen, man, such an honor to have you on the show here and taking time away from your new little man and your beautiful wife. Uh, but lots of love and lots of blessings to you, man. Really appreciate you being here. Oh, oh, blup, blup, blup. There it is. <laughs> oh, man. Wow, what a great episode. Having Preston on the show is such, such a, an honor. He is, he just lives this work, you guys. If you guys haven't already been following Preston and his journey and his work, he embodies everything that he does. One of the greatest impacts I got from this episode was really listening to Preston and his process of being a new father. You know, he's five weeks into being a, a new father to a little baby boy, and it's just been such an honor to hear how his process has unfolded and to see the discoveries that he's making every day because I, I can relate to that you know I'm, I'm two and a half years into being a father to a son and hearing him speak about it just reawakens that for me so for any of you fathers out there to sons or just fathers in general I'm sure you can relate to a lot of what Preston said and so much more of what he had to share as always you guys if you want to check out the links and resources related to this episode and other episodes be sure to go over to the risingmanpodcast.com while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter so that you guys get instant updates about new podcast launches, new content, new opportunities coming straight to you and the Rising Man community. Please leave us some comments and some questions. We want to know how we're doing. Give us some feedback. Let us know how you're enjoying the podcast, what you think could make it even better. We want to hear from you guys, bottom line. Also, wherever you guys are listening to this podcast, please leave a review. In fact, leave a review. And if you screenshot it, send it to therisingmanpodcast at gmail.com. You'll get a personal response from me directly with a heartfelt thank you and a special gift for you guys. It is so important to leave a review and a rating. And, and if you guys think about this in a bigger sense, this is your opportunity to spread this message, to spread this conversation and this dialogue to other men all over the world just by letting them know what you think because other men are going to come, they're going to read the reviews, see the ratings and say, oh, I should check out this podcast. And then the Rising Man community is just going to continue to grow. So please, please, please take a moment. It only takes five minutes. Review, rating, let us know what you think. Also, make sure if you guys are on Facebook, go over to The Rising Man, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash The Rising Man. Join The Rising Man Facebook community because this is where we're going to continue the dialogue and the conversation relative to these episodes and to all different types of challenges and obstacles we face in, li in our lives as men. We've got just about 400 guys from all over the world who are part of the Rising Man Facebook community and it's growing by the day. So make sure you guys go over there, get yourself invited. Uh, this is for men only. So ladies, if you're hearing this at the end of the recording, send your husbands, your brothers, your boyfriends, your fathers, anybody over to the Rising Man Facebook community and we'll make sure they get taken care of. Also check us out on Instagram at the Rising Man Pod is the official podcast Instagram where you can check me out on my personal page at Jedi Azuma. And last but not least, shout out to Sean Offenbach over at Less Than Three Records, at Less Than The Number Three Records. He is the wizard behind the scenes making these episodes incredible. Sean just uh, has been mixing and mastering all these episodes, chopping them up, making them sound good so that they're pleasurable for all of you guys to listen to. So a uh, big shout out to Sean as always. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.